Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to another episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends, part of the United Wecast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1. You can read me on Bleacher Report. You can also hear me on radio.com. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Rick Buecher, and on Instagram, at Rick underscore Buecher. Three things I want to get to in this episode of Buecher Friendless. One, uh, I want to continue or clean up a debate I had with Colin Coward on his FS1 show, The Herd, this week about load management. Explain to you why that conversation went the way that it did, and make a better case for myself than I did on the show and why I didn't on the show. All of that. I'm going to give you all of that. Also want to talk about the fourth quarter, the epic fourth quarter in the All-Star game on Sunday and all that we learned about it, or from it rather. And then finally, the dunk contest. I have a solution for the dunk contest so that Aaron Gordon may enter it once again and if he does or he doesn't there will never be another dunk contestant to be gypped the way that Aaron Gordon obviously was this time I'm not going to give him the Zach Levine Zach Levine won that this one he had a dunk that clearly should have won him the contest it's hard to imagine him walking away without having won the title all right but We'll get to that. First thing I want to clean up is my conversation with Cowherd about load management. He was making the case essentially that Kawhi Leonard is the poster boy for load management. And it's really not that big of a deal in the league that it's primarily Kawhi that has created this issue. But it's not rampant. And I disagree wholeheartedly. Now, I can explain why, and I explain why it's difficult to make that case. I know it from talking to people in the league. I know it from talking to coaches, but the statistics are not there. Here's the deal. I wasn't even planning on talking about that on his show. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Colin has an assistant who talks with each of his guests about the topics that Colin wants to discuss on a particular show and what we 
the guests plan to say. And then that's taken back to Colin and he has a sense of what's going to make for the most compelling topics and where he wants to go. However, Colin is also notorious for changing up topics and going to something completely off the board, nothing that was discussed beforehand, simply something that piques his interest. And I've, this has happened to me where before the red light goes on, we'll be talking about something and suddenly that becomes the thing that when the red light goes on, he wants to talk about. This was one of those issues. And I thought uh, a somebody on Twitter uh, made a, a salient observation in that a big reason why our conversation went the way that it went is because Colin was looking at it from a fan perspective and I was looking at it from a team perspective or at least I was forming my argument from that because I know for a fact and I wrote a piece about it for Bleacher Report there are coaches that are frustrated by the whole load management concept and there are players in the league who take issue with it too and do not take issue with Kawhi. They look at what he's doing as a result of an injury that he's been dealing with. There's mystery around exactly what the injury is, which is part of the problem. And Kawhi's not very forthcoming. Clippers have not been forthcoming. Toronto Raptors weren't very forthcoming, all because nobody wants to upset Kawhi because they know how private he is and they take their lead from the way he's approaching it. That doesn't mean that he's not dealing with an issue. There are plenty of other guys, however, much younger guys, who are missing games as a result of simply don't want to tax them. And because, as I made the point to Colin, being the subject of load management now is a bit of a badge of honor for players. It means you're in that category of superstars who have the wherewithal to say, yeah, I don't know if I'm not ready to go. And that their health is paramount, maintaining their health. And maintaining their health or maintaining their ability to play near 100% is so vital, is a reflection of how good they are, or at least that's the way it is perceived. So that's the point I was trying to make. Now, the league, and we got into this with Kawhi at the beginning of the year, they basically, it was load management. They were protecting his injury and uh, it was announced as such and the league took issue with that because the league now has threatened to fine any team that rests a player for load management or designates him missing a game because of rest it's a it's a bad look and as a result it's not happening as much in terms of being labeled that way now, it doesn't mean that it's not happening. It's just that instead of putting load management or rest on the box score, as they once did, they're now, it's, they're inactive or they are, uh, they can name an injury. I mean, generally, when you load management, the guys are playing, playing through an 82-game season, they're always dealing with some issue. You can always point to an ankle or a hip or a knee or a shoulder, something that you can point to and say, well, that's the reason that we're sitting him down. It's flaring up. And so we need to give him a night off. I couldn't 
again, because I wasn't expecting that we were going to have this conversation, I couldn't cite chapter and verse all the evidence and examples that I would have if I'd known that Colin wanted to go there. So some of you out there think he won the, the argument. I respectfully disagree. I simply didn't bring my usual ammo with me. I will next time. I promise. Next subject. Fourth quarter of the 2020 NBA All-Star Game with the new format in honor of Kobe Bryant. What the league did is decided to take the total cumulative score of the first three quarters and then add 24 points, representing Bryant's jersey number, to the team leading at the three-quarter break. And then the two teams, with no game clock going, still a shot clock, but no game clock, playing to the first to the total. So it was 133-124. Team Giannis was ahead of Team LeBron. Uh, That made it the number 157. First team to 157 wins the game. And TNT decided not to air commercials, make the fourth quarter commercial free. By the way, for all the excitement of the fourth quarter, all the drama, keep in mind there were some elements that are going to be hard to replicate. I don't know if TNT is going to do that every year, but that was part of the part of the excitement and the drama is the fact that there was never a cutaway. There was never a break in the action. They just kept playing unless there was a timeout, which was, again, kind of weird to have a timeout and to have a shot clock even though there was no game clock running. In any event, uh, we learned a number of things from that fourth quarter. First, if you want to really fire up the competitive spirit of NBA players, it doesn't really come down to putting enough money out there or creating some sort of material stakes. Yes, there was, there was charity money on the line. Yes, the kids that were receiving the charity were in the building. Yes, they were cheering, added to the atmosphere. Players could hear them or said they could hear them. The All-Star Game doesn't always have that kind of fever pitch from the stands. So I'm sure that was different for the guys who have been there before. But ultimately, if you want NBA players, NBA stars, to compete like average Joes on the playground, then you need to give them a game structured like the game on the playground. Uh, That, to me, is one of the elements that we certainly learned. Because the truth is, the first three quarters were a little more competitive than we're used to seeing of late, especially last year, but nothing like that fourth quarter. And so I'm going to attribute that more to the playing to a certain number, like you would on the playground, 11, 16, or 21 by ones, than it was that it was simply the fourth quarter and everything was on the line. Second thing we learned. There's nothing wrong with the current NBA game that eliminating the three-point shot wouldn't cure. I know that sounds outrageous, especially since it's become such a staple of how everybody measures the game and the excitement of 40-foot shots. But 
the game has become sort of vanilla and boring. And again, it's always been my belief that what excites people about the game of basketball, and I had this conversation with uh, uh, Sean Marks of the Brooklyn Nets, GM of the Brooklyn Nets, on the concourse. It's either Saturday or Sunday night at one point. And it was about the fact that we've lost the excitement of the chemistry and communication between two players, the unspoken language to create a play. That's the magic of the game for me, is that connection, that communication, that orchestration, if you will. It's like watching a band play. You can have soloists that are phenomenal, but there's something special about a saxophonist and a drummer or a keyboardist and when they start to go back and forth and they start to play off of each other and then they create something that neither one of them could create independently. That to me is the magic of basketball and that's what's being lost in the current way the game is played. And it's what we found in that fourth quarter. The teams didn't need threes. So they worked to get the most high percentage shots. Now, they're not familiar with each other. They didn't have sets. So it really was. It ended up being a lot of post play. And there wasn't a lot of that orchestration. But the physicality was there. There was, there was some intrigue in terms of how teams were going to utilize the respective talents they had and the matchups. It wasn't just coming down, trying to dribble, drive, penetrate, kick, swing, swing, swing until we find a three-pointer, which is essentially the way every game, every team plays right now. It was a total change. And that's why I believe we'd get back to more chemistry, more team play, more variation in how teams play if we took the three-point shot out of the game. Third thing we learned. Because the league nor the referees ever expected it to get as chippy as it did, as competitive as it did, it was so beyond what anybody anticipated that they kind of, and maybe it was because there was also the court was full of stars who are used to being able to express themselves a little bit more than the average player. But nonetheless, there was nothing done to curb the player's enthusiasm or passion. And guess what? Nothing bad happened. Allowing guys to get emotional didn't hurt the game one bet. In fact, I would say that it helped it a great deal. And you saw how much guys cared. You got to allow them that, that width and, the, and, and breadth. The, the league is killing the game in that respect in that guys are not allowed to show emotion without risking a T or a fine. It's, it's, I understand why they do it, but it's not as productive as they might think it is. Lastly, number four, there are no Kobe Bryants in the league today. Kawhi Leonard comes close, but his low-key demeanor doesn't have the same impact on the crowd or the competition. He's not afraid to 
get to where he needs to get to, to take a shot on the line. He has the footwork. He has the patience. He has the repertoire. But he doesn't have the same fire. He just doesn't exude that. It's just not his. It's not in his nature. It's not a fault of his. It's just his personality. Now there are some guys, Giannis, Pascal Siakam, the first two that come to mind, that just don't have the requisite one-on-one repertoire of moves to score in those clutch situations. And I'm not going to bother to get into the, the arguments or what I was hearing from Milwaukee Bucks fans about all that Giannis did and it's not Giannis's fault and he didn't touch the ball enough. Look, Giannis got the ball in a couple situations. He could not get anything done. And when that happens, that only has to happen once or twice. You know what? You're not seeing the when you have stars on the floor, you're not seeing the ball again. Don't give me this they didn't give it to him. They would. They believed he could get it done. He would have demanded it if he knew he could get it done. Defensively, he was all over it because defensively, Giannis knows what he is, knows what he's capable of, knows he can shut down a LeBron James, has the utmost confidence, bring it on, I got this, and demonstrated that. Baseline, baseline fade, blocked. Drive to the rim, blocked. He was terrific. He was in his wheelhouse at the defensive end. As of right now, he does not have the requisite one-on-one moves, uh, what do you want to call it, triple threat type of game to get it done. Will he get it? I, I keep hearing about his work ethic. I have no reason to believe that he can't get better at it, that he can someday capture it. LeBron didn't have it at the very beginning. He ultimately got better. It's still still a little wonky at times. He's he's still one of those guys, LeBron, Anthony Davis, and surprisingly James Harden, at least that's what he demonstrated in this game, are capable of it at times, but they're not always eager to embrace or accept the challenge. That's the difference. Kobe always was. You didn't have to ask. Now, the players honored him as best they could. And as I tweeted, the way they played that fourth quarter may have been the best tribute of the weekend for Kobe. But the truth is, they also made us feel his absence in that no one could close the way you know he would have. We were left to Anthony Davis being guarded by Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry having no choice but to foul him, and then Anthony Davis knocking down one of two free throws to close the game. And I know there's a lot of people out there that say you can't, and players, can't end it on a free throw. Yeah, well, I don't know if that game ever would have ended because guys were just going to foul and foul and foul. They were not going to give it up. I loved seeing it, but eventually one of two things is going to happen. Somebody's going to get hurt or you're just going to end up playing far too long for a result, for a advertisement-free, no-clock broadcast. Okay, now I can get to what I really wanted to talk about, and that is my solution for the dunk contest. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I think it's safe to say everybody's frustrated, looking for a different way, much in the same way that they found a solution for the NBA All-Star Game. I'm going to channel my inner Chris Paul, and I am going to offer a solution for the dunk contest. The scoring, quite clearly, is the issue. Cap of 50 for any one dunk. That's decided by five judges who can award points between 1 and 10. Generally, I don't know that I've seen any scores outside of 7 through 10. So it really squeezes things down. Now, understand, dunk contests, judging dunk contests, it's always going to be subjective. It's like selecting a most valuable player. The definition of what a great or the greatest dunk has never been provided that I've seen. There may be certain prerequisites or there's categories that I, I think I've seen at some point, maybe it described the various things, creativity, I don't know, height, athletic ability, whatever, showmanship. I'm sure there are categories that the judges are made aware of, but still, all of it's subjective. How much you weigh each one, very subjective. And so here's my deal. To avoid, and this will clearly will prevent a situation like we had with Aaron Gorin and Derek Jones. And I feel bad for Derek Jones Jr. because he's not going to be remembered as the dunk champion as much as Aaron Gordon is going to be remembered for throwing one of the greatest dunks ever and not winning the title. Nonetheless, to avoid any more Derek Jones Jr.'s or Aaron Gordon's, here's my solution. You still have the four dunk contestants each one of them dunks once and you use those dunks by each one of them to then seed the four competitors one through four best dunk number one second best dunk he's the number two it's a now how you determine the seeding is no longer by a point scoring or by point scoring judges. There is no scoring. I'm going to borrow from the Food Network shows, Chopped, Bobby Flay, Beating Bobby Flay, where the judges deliberate and then declare a winner collectively. One, that's going to take pressure off of the individual judges. And quite clearly, based on Apparently the mishap with Aaron Gordon's dunk that cost him at the very end that made Derrick Jones Jr. the winner, they are colluding anyway. They're talking anyway, which none of us knew was allowed or happening. So let's just go ahead and say they can. Let's make it 
an executive decision. Again, it's going to be subjective. But if one versus four in the seating, and they get two dunks each, and then the judges huddle, and they decide a winner, moves to the finals. Two and three, dunk off. Judges watch them each dunk twice. They huddle up. They declare a winner. And then those two go against each other, and you have your final. You can have them each have two dunks in the final, and then you declare a winner. Now, the beauty of it is once you've seeded them, now you have the potential for an upset. It, it can create so much drama. You have potential for an upset, and the dunk contestants themselves have to determine which dunks do I want to use when. What am I saving for the finals? What do I need depending on who I'm matched up against? What's going to be the most effective dunk that gets me there? And maybe you have a great first dunk, and you realize, and you see the other guy's first dunk, and you think, okay, I got a lead here. Let me, let me strategize. Let me play it safe. I think we just bring a whole lot of additional elements to the, the contest that don't exist now because of this weird scoring and who knows how the scoring is, is going to go. So um, for those who say that Aaron Gordon should have won because of the off the side of the backboard, one-handed spinning dunk, I agree with you. That should have been it. They didn't give that nearly enough credit. They couldn't because of the scoring system. For those of you who say that he was robbed because the taco fall dunk, dunking over taco fall, was not awarded what it should have, that's where I disagree. Because here's the reality. Showmanship matters. Aaron reached for that showmanship. He tried to play the showmanship card by going and getting Taco Fall out of the stands. This is something they had never practiced, something that Aaron had never done, at least not with someone that tall. Taco Fall is seven foot five. And so it was brilliant on that end, inspired, if you will. Where he went wrong is how he used him. Or, more accurately, where he placed him, which was too close to the basket. Now, again, he'd never done this before. But he didn't, if you, if you watch replays of the, of the dunk, as much as I have, you can see that he doesn't have a whole lot of room between Taco and the basket. And I believe there was, he kind of had to pull up to finish the dunk or he would have, he was kind of running into the rim. I think if he had had more airspace between Taco and the rim, he would have been more comfortable going up, over, and out rather than shortening up his, his leap. And that matters. Like, it matters how it looks. Uh, you could make the case, you could make the argument that this dunk was more impressive than Vince Carter's dunk over Frederick Weiss 
in the 2000 Olympics. Now, Frederick Weiss was seven foot two. Taco Fall is seven five. And I know what the counter argument is. Vince's was in a game. Weiss was facing him. But the counter to the counter argument is that dunking in a game in some ways can be easier than a contest because you're loose and there's no pressure. It's just an instinctive, in-the-moment dunk. Contest dunking is different. And, and I, if you've never been there, especially when it comes to the NBA, it's just the entire arena, all eyes are on you. You're the only one, in many cases, on the floor with a basketball. And it's all about the dunk. Missing a dunk in a game is disappointing, but sometimes it's understandable. It's, it's, it's accepted. It happens. Missing a dunk in a dunk contest is a complete fail. It's like, that's the reason that you're out there. That comes with a certain degree of pressure. You know that when you're in the contest. Now, I understand why the dunk wasn't given full credit. Because optics do matter. Showmanship does matter. It's, it's part of any dunk. Pulling Taco out of the stands was brilliant. Stationing him too close to the basket was not. The reason that I say that it could arguably be a more impressive dunk than Vince Carter's dunk, even though I'm sure most people don't look at it that way, is because, again, if you look, go back and you look at Vince's dunk, he puts his hand on Frederick Weiss's shoulder, gives himself a little boost to get over him. And Frederick ducks to the left and is also built like a beanpole. So going over him doesn't offer quite the same challenge. It wasn't a clean over the top. What it had, obviously, was the element of surprise and the circumstance. You don't expect that kind of facial in international play. You just don't. And Vince's reaction, everybody's reaction afterward, added to the mythology of the dunk. It was impressive. And first time we'd seen something like that, of that nature. So this, this Aaron going over Taco was a replica. We've seen plenty of guys jump over guys in dunk contests. It's different. Uh, if, if you want to hold firm to Vince's what's much better, I'm not going to argue with that. I'm just saying a case can be made that this was that impressive. It just didn't look as impressive. The physical feat of going over Taco Fall, of going over a guy 7-5, was still amazing. And that aspect of it, could Vince have jumped over Taco Fall 7-5? Yeah, maybe, maybe. But Aaron, I believe, if he had given himself a little more space, ultimately, he could have done it. But the bottom line is, the way it looked, Taco ducking made it look less impressive. And looking impressive, regardless of what the pure athletic demand is of a particular dunk, is a big part of the game, or at least winning contests. So... Just to summarize, my idea for the rules for the next dunk contest that will solve, I don't know, there'll still be debate, there'll still be argument, 
but we won't run into a situation where we feel that clearly someone was robbed. Each contestant dunks. The judges get together, they huddle, they seed the four respective dunkers. There's then a dunk off between the first seed and the fourth seed, second seed and the third seed. The winners of those two dunk offs then go to the finals. In each case, no scoring. Judges take the two dunks by each contestant. They judge them collectively. They come up with a result. And we go on to the next round. The other potential wrinkle here is that you have the crowd, whether it's the people in the stands or even simply people watching, much like they do with America's Got Talent or some of those those type shows where the audience is able to vote and decide who moves on. You could do that with the seating. You could do that all the way up to the finals. I still like having the judges there who determine who ultimately is the champion. But if you wanted to, you could make it fully whatever the audience feels were the best dunks. And then, then you had nobody to blame but yourselves. How about that? And, and the reason that I believe that this will go a long way towards solving the issue is that if you have a dunk like Aaron's, it can overshadow everything. It can be so, so impressive, so high scoring, so exemplary that the judges can say, look, I don't care about anything else. That dunk and that dunk alone got him to the finals. A little bit like great main course, or appetizer can outweigh the dessert made in Chopped. You can tell that I watch that a lot. All right, that does it for this episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary Buker and Friends, part of the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. It does help us. We're not charging you to listen, and that is a way in which we attract sponsors so that we do make something off of this podcast. Um, this is the full reveal. I'm pulling back the curtain on everything, telling you how this works. So do us a favor. That's how you can benefit the show if you want us to continue to do it. Because the truth is, if we're not making consistent money off of it, we're, there's only so long before <laughs> doing it out of the goodness of our heart. <laughs> there may be other things that call for us to uh, donate or commit our time. In the next podcast, I'll be joined by Will Blackman, our NFL expert, Super Bowl champ, and we will discuss the Tom Brady situation. Should the Raiders, could the Raiders really offer two years, 60 million? What does that say about Derek Carr's future? What does it say about the relationship between John Gruden and Derek Carr? And would this be a smart move for Tom Brady and his brand? I know that's funny to say that, but Tom Brady in Las Vegas. It's worth discussing. All right, that's for the next podcast. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.